Okay. So, this is a very unusual um, uh, situation. It is about an entity, entity that only uh, lasted for five years, but its influence is still being felt today because of what happened at its demise. Um, it was called the New York Jazz Museum. And um, one main benefactor, Mr. Fisher, put up the initial money to get this thing started. And at first, um, they were in a one-and-a-half-story building that they were renting, and they were collecting artifacts and records and films and tapes and recordings and this kind of thing, putting together a display um, uh, for people to study um, the history of jazz, uh, memorabilia and all of that sort of thing. It then moved uh, to the Empire um, uh, Hotel when their original quarters became a little bit too tight as their inventory of artifacts continued to grow and grow and grow. Um, this continued. I mean, this is between the years 1972 and 1977. Somewhere around 75 or so, 74, 75, um, things were growing so fast that um, they needed their own building. So they had a two-story building um, that they purchased and moved into it. And by this time, they had collected over 25,000 items. Their approach was multifaceted. It was not just a typical museum where you go in and you look at things in a case. They had that, uh, for sure, for people like Count Basie and Duke Ellington and Charlie Parker and Billy Holiday and, you know, jazz trumpet and jazz saxophone and uh, for the major players, John Coltrane, uh, they had those displays. But they also had regular concerts called the Calvert Series, sponsored by the people who bring you those great adult beverages made by Calvert. <laughs> they gave back by providing live concerts. I think they did 40 a year. So they're doing them on a regular basis. So now you have live concerts in this space as well, which means you had to have an auditorium and the whole thing, stage, sound system, all of it, uh, to really present this uh, music uh, properly in kind of a jazz club uh, environment. Uh, there were also films um, on jazz. They collected everything they could find in terms of video. Um, there was an audio room where you could find a very rare uh, recordings, some of them one of a kind. Um, and then, of course, there were the images, uh, photographs and paintings and that kind of thing. So they had a complete uh, panoramic view 
of what jazz history was and they tried to provide that to you in a 360 degree uh, assault on your sensories. Um, whatever you liked was there for you. Whatever your taste, it was there for you. Unfortunately, the people who made up the board uh, could never agree on very much, and that's kind of the way it is now uh, with jazz. What is jazz? We still argue about what is jazz, what's not jazz. And of course, that goes from the very beginning. It's always been this way. And, uh, but these uh, debates and squabbles and differences uh, became so great that they pushed out the gentleman, Mr. Fisher, who had financed the whole thing. And then within a year, they, they realized that their cash cow was gone and they could no longer finance themselves. So they had to close their doors. And here's the good part. When they closed their doors, Mr. Fisher made sure that the contents would be preserved and made available to the public. So part of the collection went to the jazz program at Rutgers University. I'm sure the great trumpet player Sean Jones and many others who have studied at Rutgers have taken advantage of the material that was collected between 72 and 77 by the Jazz Museum of New York. The majority of it, however, went to the Schomburg Museum for the Study of African American Life. Now, I know some people go, Schomburg, that doesn't sound like a name of an African American. Well, you know what? He was a Puerto Rican, mixed race, self-made millionaire who loved the arts and loved black culture and was very, very, very supportive of the Harlem Renaissance. And so he collected everything he could and it became the basis, his personal collection became the basis for opening the Schomburg as a part and extension of the larger New York museum system. And when they got a gift of the collection from the uh, New York uh, Jazz Museum, that really allowed them to expand uh, that area of their display. So although the New York Jazz Museum only lasted for five years. It is still speaking to us. Up and coming jazz musicians at Rutgers University have access to some of this material and the rest of us can simply go to the Schomburg, which sits on Malcolm X Boulevard, which used to be Lenox Avenue, one of the main drags in Harlem, and check it out. It's worth it you will never find a display of African-American culture like a Schomburg.
Now we do have the museum in Washington, D.C. I understand it's much, much larger, but the Schomburg is very, very intimate and very, very impactful. So, the New York Jazz Museum still speaks to us today. And that's the rest of my story, and I'm sticking to that too. Thank you.